Hey everyone, I'm Britt and welcome to Educate Me, a podcast where we share stories of surviving and thriving in graduate school. This week I'm speaking with Dr. Molly Kingsley, a postdoctoral scholar at Tufts University in Boston who identifies as bisexual and is married to a woman. She completed her PhD in molecular biology at the University of Colorado. We discuss the challenge of moving across the country in the middle of her PhD, which resulted in significant feelings of isolation. Hi, Molly. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi. Uh, thank you for having me here. I'm really excited. So my name is Molly. Um, I finished my PhD in November of 2019, so about eight months ago at this point. Um, I did that at the University of Colorado, the Anschutz Medical Campus, but halfway through, my PI picked up and moved the entire lab to Philadelphia. So I did oh, wow. half of work in Denver and half of it in Philadelphia. Uh, I am now in Boston at Tufts University. I just started a postdoc there July 1st. And oh, awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. It's so far going really well. It's been about a week, but <laughs> it's been a really good first week and a half. That's awesome. So tell me a bit about uh, what did you research for your PhD? So I researched, in a broad nutshell, I was researching um, childhood leukemia and mm. looking at epigenetic mechanisms in there that we could potentially target. Um, so I was looking at specifically histone methylation and how when this is apparently regulated, you have way too much of it, you can turn on all these genes that lead to leukemogenesis and trying to work on pathways to target that and turn it off and slow it down more and turn it off completely. Need some level of this methylation. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, that's really interesting. And so then what are you doing now in your postdoc research? I'm still figuring that out completely, but in a, um, from what I know so far is this lab is a chemical biology lab, chemical methodology biology lab. Some combination of those words. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the PI that I'm working for has developed this really neat new technique to help identify, so the ubiquitin um, proteasome system, so for degradation, involves E1, E2, and E3 proteins. And what this method is doing is helping to identify E2, E3 pairs. Because in humans, there's two E1 ligases, kind of the beginning of this cascade about 40 E2s and close to 600 E3s. There's thousands of combinations, and we don't know what they are yet in most cases. Okay. Yeah. So for example, like P53, a huge player in cancer, people have identified which um, E3 regulates it, but it's still uncertain what E2 is involved in that cascade. For example, so this methodology is, they've been developing this in the lab for the past couple of years, and I'm stepping in at the beautiful moment where I can hopefully get to play with this new method that's been created and help <laughs> identify pairs of each Oh, great. Yeah. And do fun things after that. Um, I think it's really, really open right now, and I'm not 100% sure what comes next, <laughs> um, but that's going to be the fun of my postdoc, hopefully playing awesome. with this and learning and taking it new directions. And have you been able to get into the lab for your postdoc or are you still waiting? No, I have actually. Um, oh, awesome. Yes. So I've been in there four days now. Um, I decided to take a work from home day today and do some reading and chat with you. Yeah. But I have <laughs> That's been awesome. 
been going in. Um, and there are three grad, wonderful grad students in the lab that I'm getting to know and I'm having fun meeting them. There's also a number of undergrads in the lab, but unfortunately they're not allowed back in yet. Right. Yeah. Same situation at our university pretty much. Yeah. Um, so I want to ask more about postdocs. So one of the things that I see a lot on um, grad Twitter is that people are they don't really know where to find postdocs or how to get postdocs, particularly, I mean, the sciences, it seems to be a bit more clear cut, but even then there's a lot of nebulousness around this whole postdocing thing. So uh, what made you decide that you wanted to pursue a postdoc and then how did you find postdoc opportunities? Uh, I actually got quite lucky. So let me break that down a little bit. So the yeah. decision to come to Boston was actually based on my wife. So she's okay. a pediatric, she's, a doctor, like MD side of the doctor thing, and um, is doing her pediatric residency. So once we knew where she was doing residency, dictated where we'd be moving next. Right. She got into Boston Children's to do residency there. So that narrowed down a lot. Like we were moving to Boston. I need to figure something out there. Right. <laughs> um, I spent quite a while kind of applying, toying with the idea of applying directly to industry. Yeah. The truth is my heart's in teaching. Like I really actually want to teach someday. I want to work with undergrads. If I pursue research, I want to have just an undergrad-run research operation. Oh, okay. Um, I, like, that was probably the most formative science years of my life. Right. Being an undergrad researcher in an undergrad-only lab. We didn't necessarily do groundbreaking science, but it taught me to love science. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the most important thing to me. I want to share that love of science and that excitement. Yeah. I don't necessarily want the pressure of being at like an R1 university. Yeah. Um, so that, I think that dream is what kind of got me into wanting to do a postdoc. Um, that dream is still wanting to teach, even though I did toy with industry for a while because yeah. they do make a lot more money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <after hours. laughs> um, I haven't totally ruled it out. Maybe. I mean, there's some really great pharmaceuticals, especially here in Boston. Like, yeah. It's, amazing what's happening here um but we'll see so anyways once i knew i was moving to boston um there's this program in the u.s called the aracta program and it's essentially a teaching postdoc program where you're 75 percent a postdoc 25 percent teaching at local community colleges oh okay so i applied to this program applied to this professor's lab didn't get into the program however the PI I'm working with is super supportive of this and said, you know, I'd still love you to be in my lab. I have plenty of funding right now and you should apply again next year. Oh, great. Um, so I got super lucky. This was the first lab I applied to. For nice. my first um, and it just worked out really well. She had just gotten an R01 and was looking for a postdoc. Yeah. So it's just great timing. It was just really good timing on both of our ends. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So I definitely feel lucky there that it just, it worked. I did apply to another lab in the same university who wasn't taking it. Sent the two applications out simultaneously. Right. Yeah. I know um, it's funny for a lot of people. Yeah, the, yeah, the funding's really tricky. Uh, and finding someone who both you want to work with and also is taking postdocs and all of that can be really tricky. So unfortunately, I don't have insight on the difficulty of that because that's one place where I said I, I really got it well and lucky and just found a good person. I mean, I've been there a week and a half. I hope she's a good person. <laughs> I've had a really, really good first impression and 
I'll keep you posted in like a year if it's true, but I, I think it will be. You've got feelings. Yeah, it's absolutely. Well. Yeah. So I guess then, um, how did you find that this prof was the one who was like taking students or did you just kind of cast like a broad net for initial emails and things? For my postdoc? Yeah. Um, yeah, I just... I went on, so I wanted to be back in the chemistry department. Um, I kind of knew that. So I, my PhD is in molecular biology, kind of right. still leukemia work and everything. Um, but I did want to get back to a little bit more chemistry side of thing and more chemical methodology. So I did specifically look in the chemistry department. Right. And she had no advertisement at all, but they did have on the, um, the chem department homepage that she had recently gotten a grant. So I was ah. kind of hopeful that maybe that would be a good. Yeah. I knew ahead of time that she'd recently gotten funny. I didn't know if that means she was looking for a postdoc, if she wanted a postdoc, if like any of that. But I did know that she had funding. Yeah, at least has the funding to do it. <laughs> yeah, so, I still, yeah, I, I think. And I celebrated on the page for her, which also made me feel good that this department values their staff and their faculty enough to celebrate their successes on the web page. Nice. That's actually, yeah, that's a really good point too, because that's not always the case. Definitely not. Okay. So, yeah, it sounds like you kind of went the method of, okay, find where I want to be uh, in terms of geography and then mm -hmm. um, narrow down from there. And I think that's such a good point because we see sometimes people talking about how um, they they chose the lab they wanted to be in and yet they were in a place they didn't want to be or chose the place they wanted to be and then ended up in a lab they didn't want to be in. Um, and my cat. Other, I'm sorry. So, other pieces I wanted to be in this teaching program yeah it was the only university in Boston that had this program so it really got narrowed quite quickly right yeah absolutely yeah that's a good point my cat has decided to join me on the desk and oh, eat my microphone so I'm gonna see if I can get rid of him okay beautiful cat oh thank you this is Tripper Hello. he gets a little bit annoying but he's a cuddly baby that's sweet I have two cats around here somewhere. Nice. <laughs> I think they're both napping at the moment. Yeah, he's an only child, so he gets a little lonely. That's okay. Give him his love. Yeah. We'll cut this part out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give Sean the heads up. Look for the part, the discussion about the cat. Okay. Um, yeah, so then speaking yeah. of PhD, uh, right. back to your experiences with the PhD. Uh, so, um, uh, I'll ask first, uh, what sort of, or what would you say was like the biggest challenge that you found in, in completing graduate studies? So I'd say moving yeah. labs and locations was definitely the biggest challenge and a lot came with that. Yeah, I was going to ask about uh, about what it was like to move like that, but then I figured that was probably the biggest challenge. So yeah. <laughs> I'll ask that question first and then and then see where that goes. So um, yeah, tell me, tell me more about that. I, I know it happens and I mean, it, it's rare, but it does happen. Mm -hmm. And so um, did you get the choice in, in terms of you could find a different PI or you could follow? Yes. So my PI moved, so I started grad school in 2000. 13 and she moved in 2017 right okay. so yeah I was a fourth year grad student at the time right um so at that point I had completed like the preliminary exams the comps exams all of that um and I remember coming in and telling us all in the lab and did say we all had the choice and right 
technically I did have a choice, but the way I saw it is I either go with her and finish what I'm doing, um, join a new lab and start a whole new project all over again, which as a fourth year sounded quite terrible, thinking I only had a year left, which we'll get to later, but was not true. Um, <laughs> but at the time, you were thinking, well, I only have a year left. <laughs> yeah, maybe two years. Um, yeah. Or take a master's, which was not a terrible um, option by any means, but not something that I personally wanted to do. I really did want to finish and get my PhD, again, with that dream of teaching someday. And right. At most colleges, you do need a PhD to teach. Um, so that was... My decision, I think technically I had a choice, but it kind of felt like I didn't. It did really feel like I had to go with her. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I can, I can definitely understand that. Uh, and then, so what was that like? Like, how long did that move take once you knew, okay, we're going? And then um, to actually get, get to the new lab and, and continue on with your research? Yeah, so I... I think all total, it was probably about a six-month disruption um, right. to get the lab up and running. And so I also work with mice. So uh, that yeah. was quite interesting getting them to move across the country. There's a thousand rules and regulations about that. We are kind of able to bring some, we could bring sperm and like repopulate the colony that way. Um, yeah, like cryopreserved preserved sperm and started back up. Yeah, eggs. We brought a couple mice. We were allowed to ship some, but then the mice had to be in quarantine for like a month in the vivarium. We couldn't do anything. Um, so that took quite a while. Let's see. So I moved in March. I don't remember exactly when she told us we were moving. I feel like I feel like she told us maybe back in September, maybe even August mm. of the year before. And then we didn't move until February, March time. Yeah. But, you know, when you're wrapping things down, when you know you're moving, like, the, probably the last month before moving, I didn't do any work anyways, because A, the lab's getting packed up, and B, you know, I'm looking for apartments and thinking about moving, and, yeah. you know, really yeah. wasn't focused anymore. <laughs> um, and then getting there, unpacking the lab, getting it all set back up, that definitely took a while. I think the first thing, the first experiment that happened in the new lab was a DNA gel. We were all pretty excited when that was up and running. <laughs> And little by little, we got the rest of our equipment settled. Everyone got their spots. Um, we had to, obviously all, I work with a lot of cell culture as well. So we had to freeze down all the cells. So then you have to thaw them all at the new place, get all your cell lines up and running again. Um, but it was really the mouse experiments that caused a setback. Yeah. I'm also so. wondering about like university bureaucracy in terms of like, I know that like processes for comps and all that can be different across mm -hmm. universities. And so did you face any challenges in terms of getting your like status or your current progress transferred over into the new university? So I didn't at all, actually. So oh, really? all that exactly, I remained a University of Colorado student. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So we moved technically. So my PI is a medical doctor as well. So she... Right. So I moved to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and did research there. Right. CHOP has a slightly complicated relationship with UPenn, University of Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, but I was definitely not invited to come be a UPenn student. Like, if I wanted to do that, oh, I would wow. actually fly to UPenn and literally start all over again. Oh, um, wow. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, like, my PI tried to, like, get me into a journal club with their grad students, 
and that wasn't even allowed. They were wow. quite strict about new people not really integrating. Like I made friends with people on the floor and I made some friends through um, bigger lab meetings. Yeah. But I didn't actually really get into any of the grad stuff there. On the flip side, though, the Postdoc Association at CHOP and UPenn both welcomed me with open arms and said, like, you can join any of our events, you can come to any of our things, like, we'll put you on the mailing list. So I actually integrated more with the postdocs than I did the UPenn grad students. And this is not, like, the individual students I met were all really wonderful, but I think it's a university thing where they're selective, and I was not one of their students. And it was a little weird, um, not going to lie. Yeah, I can imagine that would be a bit isolating because you're now, like, I can imagine you wouldn't be very well connected to graduate student organizations in Colorado because you're on the other side of the country, mm-hmm. and then now you're not allowed to integrate into there. Exactly. So wow. the isolation was definitely the hardest part of this because I, mean, I still had my grad students friends from Colorado. Like, they're all yeah. wonderful people, and I still had those friends, but, you know, everyone here can attest. Like, there's something very different between a phone call and walking down the hall to someone else's lab and saying, hey, let's go get coffee together. Absolutely. You lose all of that. Yeah. And like, I did make friends with people on the floor that I was working on, but, you know, at that point when you're trying to come in someone new, everyone already has their own cliques and their friendships. And I mean, I made close friends with a few people, but it was never the same. Like, yeah. you don't have that initial bonding experience. Like, I don't know how your first year of grad school was, but to be honest, first year of grad school was actually the best. I loved it. Like my class went out all the time. Like we had so much fun together. Almost every weekend, huge groups of us would go out and just you know, go get beers together, hang out, people's apartments. It's bigger people had bigger apartments at least. <laughs> <laughs> um, like go out to restaurants. We had so much fun. We all got so close. And you can never really recapitulate that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like losing that sucked, if I'm being completely honest here. Like losing yeah. all that conversation, losing that ability just to walk down the hall and say, let's go get coffee together or, hey, let me know when you're done. Let's go grab a beer after work. Yeah. Um, that was definitely the hardest part of this. And when I started writing my thesis, you know, there were a number of Skype calls and phone calls, but again, not having people to just like physically sit around with and talk with was hard. And I, you know, I feel like everyone now in COVID time can actually feel this even more. Like, everyone now is losing out on this. So I almost feel like what I'm saying isn't even that novel anymore. (laughs) It feels like everyone in the world is probably feeling the same way. Yeah, Um, and it's really interesting. Yeah, and I, like, I find so in, I'm in education, we don't really have this, like, lab model that's Mm -hmm. in the sciences. So um, a lot of my friends are engineers uh, because I then went and got involved in our student association and a lot of engineers get involved there. Because they're they're one of the biggest cohorts uh, of grad students on our campus. So, um, and education is is close there, but we have a lot of uh, course based students and not as many uh, thesis based. But we okay. had like one course when I started my PhD. We had one course that we would all take together, but there was only like ten of us um, in the first year PhD program. And everyone just yeah, the whole idea of this cohort like I'm. I'm so close with just one person and another person like we're supportive colleagues. Like we, if we see opportunities that are beneficial to each other, like we send them along and kind of touch base here and there and we've TA'd together and that sort of stuff. But 
this idea of this lab cohort is something that I think is so important to graduate student well-being that I think we should be trying really hard to emulate that. Whether it's, yeah. About that. Like, you know, having your, like for me, I had like the grad student cohort and then yeah. like the lab family individually. And I just. Yeah. And we had like neither. <laughs> and so wow. like, even still like some of my, some of my supervisor students, like I don't know who they are. Like I might know them by name or see them like CC'd in emails and stuff, but don't actually know them. Uh, or, um, like I know I, most of the people I know are because I, I chose to get involved from day one in our student association. Uh, and that was then really important for me to, to find and create these colleagues and these, these cohorts that weren't naturally created. Um, yeah. And so that, that sense of loss and like, I worked, I worked from home probably about like 50% of the time anyway, pre COVID. Oh, wow. Okay. So you already... So I already kind of had that. And yeah, like you don't, you don't get that sense of um, like, oh yeah, let's go grab a coffee. Or if I would go into the office because I was so like deprived of other grad student contact, uh, I'd end up like talking to people for like, I'd be like leaving, heading out at like four o'clock and then I'd stop and chat and it was like six o'clock. I'm like, no, I really need to go. (laughs) Exactly. Wow. I guess I didn't realize, yeah, I guess other programs just don't have this. So my... The University of Colorado, they have what's called CORE, the first year, and all new grad students have to take it. So it's a biomedical campus, so we're all in uh, that general yeah. world anyways. Um, but all incoming grad students have to take this class together. And for an entire semester long, Monday through Friday, 8 to 10, it's actually not fun, but we're all in it together. And this right. is where so many plans and party like plans were made. Yeah, absolutely. After. Well, yeah. <laughs> but that's at least where you met the people and and can make those connections yeah and kind of where you sit you move around you be in different groups like there were group projects no one likes group projects but you do meet people there are some just to them um and we're just we all could commiserate about it because every single one of us were in this class so even if we were in different labs we're all scattered across this campus we at least all had that together in our first semester yeah I don't know, I guess in my brain, other programs had things like this, but I guess not. I guess, you know, having that first initial class that you make everybody take, and I don't know what the equivalent could be for other subjects necessarily. Like this was all of biology. Like, right. We talked about biology and we covered it in that class. Oh, wow. It was all like a fire hose of information to get everyone on the same page. Yeah, um, we had that for like for our doctoral program in education. It was like education 700 or something and it was uh like um educational research theory and also then uh and methodology and then also a bit about like how like the whole phd program progresses which was quite useful in terms of like here's what you need to know as you move towards candidacy which is like what we call comps and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. that was quite useful but our cohort is quite small like we have a lot of graduate students but we have so many more that are course-based or or distance-based whereas yeah the like my incoming phd cohort there was i think 11 of us total so i was the 11th um which was yeah really (laughs) really quite small uh and so like it's it started that but i i think too of like if i had done things differently or if i if i ever am a a pi um mm-hmm. how i would want to create collaboration and and that culture 
for my graduate students or for my colleagues. So yeah, I think about that a lot. Um, so my question for you as well next is, uh, so then you're in Philadelphia and you're, you've got that isolation piece and you're trying to write your thesis. So how did you get over those, those feelings of isolation or push through them to then finish? Um, finding the grad right slack group actually helped a lot. Um, yeah. For them. Like that was huge to help me break through feeling so isolated and lonely with the writing. I mean, writing is an isolating and lonely process anyways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have a really supportive wife, so at least we moved together. Um, oh, good. Yeah. We both moved from Denver to Philadelphia. We weren't married yet at the time, but we got married well in Philadelphia. Um, so that helps knowing that. And the fact that like, everyone from the lab moved. It was just, there was only four of us. We're a tiny lab. But still, at least we all moved. So I yeah. do still have that tiny little group. Um, we didn't always go along perfectly well, but you know, <laughs> who does? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's part of the course. <laughs> um, you know, I did a lot of phone calls with other people who, other like grad students from Denver that were writing. But I mean, ultimately without advertising this too much I think finding that writing group helped so much like I would check in every single day when I was writing and there was a group of us all writing our thesis right around the same time yeah there's a bunch of you that finished just about around the same time yeah yeah and I think having that you know it was more stable than other grad student friends somehow other friends would call kind of randomly as we had time but this group added structure and rigidity to the life and like we all checked in every day and we all wrote together like every day and that's actually really unique like I feel like even with in-person friends I've never had anything quite that organized I think is the word I'm looking for here yeah like that yeah like this is a really unique group and it, as with everything you get in what you put like you get out what you put into it um but there was definitely a really solid group of us all doing our thesis right at the same time who just all cheer each other along. Um, I think, like, my lab joined two other big group lab meetings, so I did meet a good number of people there. Um, there were a few other grad students right around my same year that were finishing up, um, so I chatted with them a little, but we never... Yeah. I think we said we were going to write together, maybe we did, like, twice, and then life happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that, that truly is the biggest thing that helped me. Uh, talked to my family a lot, called them, complained, complained a lot. It's <laughs> a lot of chocolate. Um, <laughs> drank a fair amount of wine, but these are not necessarily the most helpful things, but, you know, for being true, <laughs> they, they help. My thesis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, too, I think um, the necessity of, of breaking that isolation became really clear to me when, uh, on Twitter as right around like all the lockdowns start happening and everyone is suddenly writing from home, how many people on Twitter were searching for something like grad rate slack yes. and how many then like recommendations I was making. And I was like taking it and like all, almost all my tweets for a couple of weeks. It felt like, and their group really seemed to explode. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, Krishana is, has been a guest as well. And her episode, um, will come out just before this one actually. Oh, great. Uh, and we talked about how that we weren't really sure what that explosion would mean for the community, but it ended up being great. And in the sense that what I find in writing groups is that the ones that are, are more rigid and are more, um, we meet every week at this time, haven't lasted 
but the ones where it's, hey, I'm writing, who else is writing right now? And you can find those more serendipitous meetings are the ones that are have more stuck stuck the test of time in a sense. So that's what I really like about the more informal ones where it's like, oh, I'm writing and I'm, I'm not feeling it. I'm going to go and see who else is writing and see if we can encourage each other. That was huge. Um, and then I think Krishana and I were writing buddies for a little while where we you know, conscientiously check in with each other every day. How are you doing? How are you doing mentally? How's things going? And she helped get me through to the end. And, and then I just, like I had to admit, then I disappeared for a little while. I felt a little bad, but I needed the distance. <laughs> Like, this group was totally so fair. Yeah. and amazing, but when I was done, like, I needed a distance from it to help myself mentally recover, because that group was then so closely linked to the thesis, which was such a bad experience. Yeah. I wanted that group to still be a positive thing, so I had yeah. to leave that for a little while, yeah. and just kind of take a break from itself and get my mental state back, because I... Like, I fell into a bit of depression while I was writing. I'm going to be yeah. completely honest here. Like, it was not a great experience. Um, my project was hard and hit a lot of setbacks. And so I ended up graduating my seventh year. So I ended up working for right. three more years in Philadelphia. Um, so when you're done and ready to graduate and it just keeps getting pushed, that does something to you for a while. Like I'm ready to go and move on with my life, but I can't. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And really the only thing that can get you through that is to work. Yes, but at that point, you still don't want to work. You don't want to. Yeah. It's, Uh, yeah, it's like the only way out is through. um, And that can be so difficult. Ultimately, that's what I did somehow. I'm not 100% sure how I did it some days, but um, I did. Yeah. Um, Yeah, you just, at some point, you, you do what you have to do to make it through and you know, I will be the first to say, my thesis is not great. It's done, but it's not great. I don't think I ever want to read it again. I'm going to find so many mistakes. I, um, I was that. For people to remember, like, don't get stuck in perfectionism. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, 10 years ago. Yeah. 10 years ago, I was writing my honors thesis. And I had a, uh, I've always been involved in student politics and stuff. So I had, a, um, I would call him a mentor now who worked for the students union and he, he had seen many go through the honors thesis. Yeah. <laughs> so he said, there's two types of theses, a finished thesis and a perfect thesis. And like that has just stuck with me. And, uh, when I was then doing my master's thesis as well, it was like, yeah, just, it's not going to be perfect, but it's going to get done. And then I can, and since then I've been able to, to take the findings and, and make it better to publish it. Um, Great. was then also a very challenging experience. Um, but yeah, and it's, it's not your life's work. Like also my, my master supervisor was like, it's just a master's. It's not your life's work. Right. Can do more later. <laughs> just get it done. Yeah. <laughs> my PI, I remember a conversation with her where she tried to do something like that, but it almost made me feel worse. Cause she's like, it's just a thesis. It doesn't really matter. No one's even really going to read it anyways. I'm like, oh, we're going with this. I think that you're trying to help take the pressure off me, but you actually kind of made me feel worse right now because it does still matter to me. Like, I still want it to be good. Yeah. <laughs> tell me someone's going to read it. Like, this, like I'm not going to type 100 pages for nobody to read. 
this is true that can yeah that can get rather <laughs> discouraging at the same time it is yeah. a fine line and it's that balance of like okay my my self-worth and my life does not matter in right. in terms of how well this is written like i will still be a a, a good and lovable person but I, it still has significance in terms of hopefully it's moving science forward and it's, uh, someone's going to read it and appreciate it and learn something from it. And like, I've put so many years into this project. Like I want to have something that I'm at least semi proud of. <laughs> like I don't want yeah. to whatever, but I do want to be able to reflect on it eventually and be like, yeah, it's something. Like it's, mm -hmm. I, I worked really hard on it. At least I can say that. I worked really hard on it. <laughs> so it may not be great, but I did work really hard on it and that I can be proud of. Yeah, absolutely. I can still be proud of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then, uh, now that you're working on your postdoc, how are you creating community, like where you are now? I know you've just started, you're just starting to meet your lab mates, but um, yeah. I So I think after having the experience of moving, I now see the value of the community more than I, of having a community even more than I ever would. Yeah. Uh, so, like I said, there are three grad students in my new lab. I'm the only postdoc right now. So I'm definitely spending time with them. They're, I had lunch with them and another grad student. So I'm now going, meeting all the grad students. Yeah. I actually plan on getting fairly involved in the postdoc association. Um, so I just, the meeting I had right before this was a little mini welcome to the postdoc association for those of us that were hired in July. Oh, awesome. So met. There were four other postdocs on that phone call that I've met. And so Tufts is spread over three campuses. No, right. sorry, four campuses in Boston. And one of the postdocs I just met right now is also on the same campus as I am, which is nice to hear. Um, I think that's the biggest way. I, like, I plan on actively getting involved with this association. It sounds like the Tufts Postdoc Association is a pretty active one. Um, as far as these associations go, I feel like they're not always. It depends on the people. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the vibe I'm getting so far is that this association is quite active. People, at least previously pre-COVID, you know, did weekly coffee hours, monthly happy hours. Um, and it seems like they have a lot of events. So I think they're trying to move as many of those virtual as possible right now. Um, you can have a virtual coffee hour. It's not unheard of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think they're all looking forward to being able to have them somewhat in person soon ish yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to tell yeah I, I in one of the uh, graduate communities i'm part of we're we're planning for online fall events but it's like maybe we can like have an outdoor yeah. spread out thing as long as we have nice weather still or like things like that um but that that ability to plan out is really difficult um mm -hmm. which can also be really stressful for everyone because we like yeah grad students who don't know when they're going to be able to get back in the lab and to finish off work and and all those sorts of things too so yeah and the other way I plan so having friends in science is great and important but it's also important to have friends outside science yeah um, equally important so as I said my wife's a resident and at Boston Jones I have this great thing of um like partners of people who are residents they have like oh. entire for the partners and spouses of the residents. So I told her that she needs to find that contact information for me to get involved with that as well. So just meet yeah. a whole new group of people who have a shared experience, which I think yeah. is kind of your basis of friendship. Like 
they also have a partner who's a resident. That's yeah. Crazy. Um, but then we're going to come from all different subjects and jobs. And I'm looking forward to that as well. I'm looking forward to having a, I mean, maybe some people are science people. That'd be great if they were too, but having non-science friends as well. Um, I think it's important to have diversity in your friendships and not only have lab friends. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, my university at one point had a, like a, not really a support group, but it was kind of a support group for uh, spouses of the graduate students. Um, because yeah, like uh, grad school is hard and it takes a lot of time and effort and which can wreak havoc on relationships. And for people to also know that it's a shared experience. It's not just that your spouse works 24 <laughs> seven. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wow. Um, yeah, it sounds meeting those people. <laughs> yeah, that sounds really good and, and and proactive in that sense too of um, uh, providing support both for the residents uh, residents in terms of your partner will then likely have a better understanding of what what you have to do, um, but also then has a support system for themselves. I I think it's a really unique idea. I don't know if all hospitals do this. I think they should if they yeah. Don't. Um, but I'm excited that this one does at least. That's um, great. And I think also another thing I learned from grad school is you know, I didn't really take work life balance seriously at all. Like I would just, like I burnt myself out so badly during grad school. Yeah. Um, but I definitely also plan on, you know, having that be a more rigorous part of my life. Like yeah. as much as possible, like weekends are going to be mine and this also leads time for making other friendships and meeting people. Like you're not just working 24 seven, you have time for people. Yeah, absolutely. But <laughs> I think I kind of forgot previously that. Yeah. This, this topic of burnout is uh, definitely a recurring theme on this podcast. <laughs> uh, and I think we've all experienced it in one sense or another. Um, and so, uh, hobbies, like we, are important uh, to help create that work-life balance. So uh, I don't know if I've taken up new hobbies since grad school. Oh yeah, I guess like, uh, so my partner's also really into rock climbing. So started doing that. Mostly hobbies that he's convinced me to do. So skiing, I grew up uh, close to the mountains and yet never skied really until I think I was 27, 28 when I started skiing. <laughs> awesome. I, I actually grew up skiing, so I love skiing. Yeah. Uh, I haven't done it in a while, but I love it. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it now that I can get off the chairlift without falling. Uh, that makes Yay! it much more an enjoyable experience. Uh, no, I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. I ended up, well, our season got cut short, obviously. Um, yeah. But here, like our closest ski hill doesn't typically close until like the May long weekend. That's so nice. we, get, we get a really long ski season. Like it opens in November and goes until May. And so my goal, yeah, my goal at the end of the season was to... Um, uh, ski blues like confidently and I, I feel like I, I got there so I, I was okay with it closing a bit early <laughs> great though so what are some what are some hobbies that you've picked up or that you've been able to continue or restart since finishing grad school I guess restart is the best word so just this week I started running again um awesome. I ran high school a little but I was never great but I did it at least um yeah on and off throughout my life I've ran a little bit and uh yeah, just literally this week, I decided that I'm going to do it again. And the first two days hurt and were terrible and sucked. I'm like, why am I doing this to myself again? Um, but yesterday and today, it started being fun again. Like, I started to remember why I enjoy running. So 
you know, little tiny baby steps. Today, my success was I went two miles without stopping, which, you know, to people who are true runners, this may sound really small, but for me, it was actually quite a success. That's fantastic. Uh, I, don't go, I don't go very fast, but I'm out there and I'm enjoying it and it makes me happy. And, you know, my wife has to be at work at 6 a.m., like between 6 and 6.30, so we get up at 5. So really, yeah. what else are you going to do at 5.30 in the morning besides go out for a run? Yeah. I don't know, maybe I'm a crazy person, but, you know, I'm up that early anyways because if she's up, I just kind of am up and yeah. I, make the I make better coffee, so it's better if I <laughs> Don't trust her to make the coffee. I make really good coffee. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so I make the coffee, and then I'm like, let's go out and go for a run because I'm up now. Yeah. And it's me in a good mental state. And so that's making me happy. And I, I hope I stick with this. I want to. Yeah. There's a lot of research about exercise, again, like exercise in the morning as well. And that in terms of decision fatigue, you don't have to then like decide to work out later. Um, but also, exactly. you, yeah. And you can, you can start the day being like, okay, well I accomplished something already and exactly. it starts you off off really well. Yeah. I've been, it's hit and miss, but, uh, I do try and get up and do like a workout video or something. Um, and I, I run here and there, but I'm not, I don't have the body built for running. So. There's such thing as a running body? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like there is. I feel like longer legs really helps. Um, but also I keep getting really bad shin splints. So I really feel like my body's like, don't run. I just okay. don't that was really hurt. <laughs> it's fair. I, so I, actually, I do other things. <laughs> what was that, sir? I actually am tall. So yeah. Long legs, so. <laughs> like there's not many, I'm like 5'3", and there's not very many like Olympic runners who are 5'3". That's true. So. I'm definitely not Olympian. I'm very, very slow, but yeah, <laughs> not a race. Not a race when I'm out there by myself. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. It's not at all. Awesome. Well, what kind of, uh, do you have any final advice for, uh, those grad students who are struggling or in the final throes of writing and, and trying to get it done? I guess my biggest advice is it does get better. Like it probably sucks right now. Mm-hmm. Like, are probably sad and stressed and overwhelmed and it does get better I guess that's the biggest thing I want people to know it's like you can get through this it may not feel it may not feel like it it may not feel like it today tomorrow even next week but someday you'll be able to look back and be like I did this and you will feel proud of yourself in some small way something about this will make you feel proud about yourself proud of yourself sorry <laughs> um, hang in there hang in there join grad right slack we're all here to work together it really is an awesome community of some of the most supportive people i've ever met in my life um and just instead hang in there like, don't give up you can do this like if i don't know without sounding too cheesy that, that's really what i have to say to other grad students who are in the throes of writing in the middle of this like you can do it you can get through and there is life on the other side. That, that's the other thing. There is life on the other side. There are fun things again. You can feel happy again and, I don't know, have fun cooking and go running. Yeah. Or if you do all those things, then you can just, like, actually relax and feel relaxed, relaxing. Does yeah. that make any sense? Like, there's stress relaxing where you're just, like, not doing things and trying to relax, but then there's, like, true actually feeling good about relaxing again. Yeah, absolutely. The the difference between <clears throat> forcing yourself to take a break because you know it's it's good for you to take a break, but you're still stressed and you're thinking about all the stuff you need to get done versus you're you're done and now you can actually rest. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. You articulated that way better than I did. Um, 
So it, you can't feel that again. Yeah. It, you can. Believe me. It, mine was a long, hard road too. Seven years of a PhD. Um, it was definitely on the longer side of things, but yeah, I arrived and came out on the other side. And I'm looking forward to actually having a life again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm purposely actively like looking for fun things and people and relationships and having a life, like doing things outside of science or whatever your PhD is in. So hang in there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that advice. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And That's yeah, awesome. I, I'm sure I'll see you on the Slack channel soon. You definitely will. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Have a good day. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Educate Me. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A huge thank you to our audio producer, Sean Paris. Join us again next week for more stories of surviving and thriving in graduate school. Until then, stay in school.